But this morning we are not without a we are not with a blank page this morning. By God's grace and God's word, he gives us many words upon the page on which to recognize and meditate upon. And this morning we're to continue on traveling through the book of James. But I wanted to take a moment to reflect this morning. As we get into James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, we're going to read those. And then we're going to get into just a reflection of where the heart of James is at in writing this book. Because I think oftentimes we forget to look at how the book is progressing. We tend to focus on things as kind of broken up and individual where they actually are all fit together and cohesive. Um, And I think taking a little bit of time this morning to reflect on that will help us see and fit the picture together that James isn't writing a book on morality. James is writing a book cohesively in the spirit upon the truths of God's word and much in consistency with the way Jesus spoke when he was on earth. So this morning we're going to open our books to the our Bibles, books, Bibles, same thing, right? To the book of James. And we're going to read through verses 9 through 12. And then we're going to stop, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into our introduction. James chapter 1, starting in verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word that through Jesus Christ we have been offered springs of living water. That unlike the misconception of Eliphaz that only the wicked suffer, that only the wicked find ill things in this world, He did not look forward to Christ as we can look back to Christ and see that Christ was a man of suffering, not because of unrighteousness, but because of your righteous plan. That, Father, because of sin in this world, that man will suffer. But apart from Christ, that suffering is eternal. Father, we thank you that we have springs of living water. We thank you that we have tasted of its sweetness, that we have found grace been multiplied myriad upon myriad to your children. We thank you that we can look up each evening at the stars of heaven and know that you have them known by name, that you have placed them in their spot in the heavens as a testament to your glory and your power. Father, we thank you that you have given us understanding to not just look at that and be baffled by how did they get there, but what we know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. We thank you that we know that Jesus Christ is your word made flesh. And we thank you that we have found salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Father, we just ask that as we get into your word this morning, we just ask for wisdom. We ask for understanding, for it is your spirit who gives understanding and not us in our own wisdom. Father, we just ask that like Job, we could acknowledge in all circumstances of life that you are God and we accept all that comes from your hand, whether good or evil. 
And Father, we just pray that we will continue to be a testament and a light in this dark world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're going to be talking about contented faithfulness. That word content is a word that all of us struggle with. And I don't mean in understanding what it means. I mean in practicality of life. We all struggle in our own ways with contentment. We have little, we want more. We have much, we may want more. Or we may want less. We're six foot six and we want to be shorter. We're five two and want to be taller. We're 400 pounds, we want to be thinner. We're 90 pounds, we want to be heavier. We have little muscle, we want more. We have too much, we want less. We wake up, we want to go to sleep. We sleep and we want to wake up. There's so much in life that we tend to be fickle with, that we tend to look at life through the fickle eyes of my pleasure, through the fickle eyes of my understanding of what is best for me. And oftentimes when we hit hard circumstances, we forget that it's for our good and for God's glory. That it is God who appoints to man what is due. It is God who appoints to man what is the way and path he should walk. And it is man that kicks against the goads, as Job so wonderfully puts it. It is man who tells God, no, I know best. And that is where James, as he's launching in at the beginning of this epistle, talking to Jewish men who are to be leaders in the church, those who are going to go forth and pastor flocks, those who are going to go forth and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. The Gospels have not been written as of this point. So James is seeking to give understanding to men to go forth and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, but to do it with wisdom, to do it with eyes not set upon the things of this world, but eyes that are set upon the things of Jesus Christ himself. Much of the book of James is in parallel with the book of Matthew and Jesus' teachings. We started off a couple weeks ago talking about the persecution in the church. They were being persecuted in their lifestyle because now they're not living life as traditional Judaizers, but they're living in the reality of Christianity and of Christ. And that went against their community. They were being persecuted for that, for they are no longer seen as followers of the law, but followers of this traitor Jesus who was crucified upon a cross. And that parallel is taken from Matthew thirteen twenty one in the parable of the sower. It talks first much of persecution, and those who are persecuted fall away quickly. That's that shallow soil. It has no room to take root and to grow and to become firm, but it withers quickly. Next, in Matthew thirteen twenty two. Jesus gets into the following away, falling away because of the thorns, the pride of life, the richness of life, following after riches. James picks up in the same way. So instead of looking at James 1 as kind of disjointed, it's actually very unified. He's following the pattern that Jesus left. He's following the pattern of looking at the seeds of the sower. How does that fit in to those who are coming up in the church to lead the church? First, beware of persecution. Do not fall away when you are persecuted. We talked about Stephen when he was martyred. We're going to talk a little bit more about him today. That was very integral in the church. There were apostles that were martyred before Steve, that were martyred after Stephen. Some of the twelve disciples, James, Al, the son of Alphaeus, I believe it was, 
he was martyred before this book was written, but he's not talked about. Stephen was talked about. Stephen was remembered, and there's a reason for that. But as we begin to look at this, let's look at this as early Christian men seeking to lead a people in Christianity but having to understand how to do that. And that's where James comes at this. So first he talks about do not fall away because of persecution. Next, he hits the riches of this world or the lack thereof. Because we have on the spectrum both. You have rich, you have poor. You're not going to have one without the other. They're always there. There's a dichotomy that's always alive. You have opposites in this world. Rich, poor. Tall, short. We've talked about that already this morning. And that's what James goes to. So starting in verse 9, we're going to dive in and we're going to talk about this. And we're going to talk about the beauty of humility and exaltation, which is actually taken out of, well, not taken out of, it was prior to when Paul penned Philippians 2, talking about Christ, Christ's humility and giving up the exaltation and glory and riches of heaven to become a man. Oftentimes we forget how much Christ gave up to come down low. Think about it. The beauty of heaven. What does it say in the end times? There will be no need for a sun nor a moon. Why? Because the glory of God and of Christ will be our light. Jesus Christ is the most exalted. The Father exalted him highly. He left all of that. He put that aside. That's when in Philippians 2, when Paul talks about he laid aside his privileges. He laid aside everything, the glories of heaven, the glories of God the Son, and came down to be in the flesh, to dwell among us, to bring about the propitiation of our sins through the obedience and the humility of the cross. Should we not do likewise? So this morning we're going to start breaking this down and we're going to look at four different things. The first one is contented meagerness in verse 9. James says this, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Now left on its own, it's a little confusing. If he's humble, why is he going to glory in his humility? If he has little, why is he going to glory in that? We think of glory, we think of people that have come out with much wealth or position or they are in high standing or high stead. We look up to people like that. But James says, no, we are to be content in what position God has placed us in. Now, we're not going to take this as this man is humble or in meager circumstances because he's lazy. If he's being called as one who is coming up in the church to be a leader, I don't find consistency in that. I don't see the consistency that this lazy man is now going to be a leader in the church. No. God places people in humble circumstances for a reason. I know when I was first married, we were in very meager circumstances. If I had two pennies after I paid my bills, I was blessed. But are we to fight against that? Are we going to be malcontent because I want more or I deserve more? That understanding of I have privilege or I have this or I have this need and it needs to be met. This is not the way that God calls us to look at it. We are to look at our circumstances as this is where God has placed me, and I need to be content in that and see, one, what is there that he is teaching. There's always something to be learned from our circumstances, no matter what they are. We are to learn that it is God who provides for our needs. 
What did he say? If you have a pillow and food, be content with that, with clothing, right? Do we chase after the things that are of little value to God? Or do we chase after contentment in our circumstances? Whether it is meager or whether it is abundant. For humility and this humble position of meagerness, there's sometimes less hurdles to overcome. When one has much, much is required. When one has much, there's much to hold on to. Oftentimes we find people of, in a higher position of riches tend to hold on to those. They have security in that. But when you're stripped away of riches and you have nothing but the Lord to depend on, is it easy? No. Sometimes it's just as hard. The hurdles are there both ways. But God is saying be content in knowing that he provides for us. Be content in the position that God has placed you in. James says, let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. God has called the rich and the poor alike to the same faith. The rich man is not saved in a different way than the poor. The poor man doesn't minister in a different way than the rich. We are all called to be ministers of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the glory of that truth, whether rich or poor, whether wise or foolish. How often do we see in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, where the learned men, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were astounded that these unlearned men spoke with much wisdom? How about a carpenter's son? How is it that he understood so much and baffled men of wisdom and learning at age 12? Well, one, he was the son of God. He could do that. But two, it's because he was always clinging to the truth of God's word the truth of who God was, and he spoke from that wisdom. God calls each of us, no matter where we are, to be stewards of the word of God, to be faithful to the doctrines of truth, to be faithful to the relevancy of the word. Just because this was written long ago does not mean it's not relevant today. Do we not see this dichotomy in our own culture of rich versus poor? We see it playing out every day. We see the Childness aspect of, I deserve this. We see our culture being torn apart because of this idea of selfish pride. Because of this idea of, I am better than you. Because of this idea of, no you're not, I'm better than you. We see this being played out of a lack of understanding and wisdom. We're tearing down monuments that are actually going in concert with what your cause is. We're seeing people killing one another because I don't need to have an authority, because I am my own judge. Once again, we go back to the days of the judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it was a wicked time. It was a time of turmoil. Let those men of humble circumstances glory in the fact that they are called to the preaching of God's word, that they are called to be ministers of the gospel. Each of us carries that weight and responsibility to be faithful, to be preachers of the Word of God. It looks different for each person. Not each person is called to be a song leader. Not each person is called to be a sound person. Not each person is called to be a preacher. But all of us are called to do the same job of bringing glory to God and bringing the good news of the gospel to those who do not know it. Glory in the fact that where God has you is where He wants you. Understand that truth 
If you're struggling with where you're at in life, be content knowing that's where God has you, and he has placed you there for a reason, and there is something to learn. And oftentimes, in looking back upon my life, there was times where I kicked against the goals, and I'm like, I don't like where I'm at. Well, you know what? Until I learned the lesson of why did God have me there, most often I found myself stuck in that same spot. How often can each one of you look back on something of when you finally learned that lesson that God brought you on to the next one? God isn't going to be, okay, you need to learn this, but only if you get it. God is going to put you in a situation until you are learned in that situation, until you learn contentment in your situation. God is my strength. God is everything. I trust in him. I lean upon him. I glean from the truth of God's word. I look to God to teach me in my circumstances. If you are poor, rejoice. If you are rich, rejoice. Not in your poorness, not in your riches, but in the Lord. Rejoice in the truth that God has called you a legitimate son. That God is working in your heart. Glory in that high position that God has called you to a purpose. That God has placed a purpose in each one of our lives to fulfill. Are we being faithful in seeking out what is that purpose? Are we being faithful in living a life of purpose? Or are we chasing the vanity and the fickleness of this world? James is as little interested in humility as an isolated virtue as Jesus was. Humility is just a small part of the whole Christology of life. Living life with a Christ-like view. Life isn't about poor and rich. It is in the Spirit. Blessed are you. Right? Jesus calls each of us to a purpose. And we are to learn contentment in that purpose. Number two, contented abundance. Verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because, like the flowering grass, he will pass away. It's interesting. James and Peter both use Isaiah 40 in their passages, in their epistles. James a little bit more in verse 11. But there's much wisdom that we can glean from the Old Testament as well as from the New. As we were reading through Job this morning, there's much you can learn. There is much truth in what Eliphaz said, but there is much falsity as well. It is not just the wicked who perish. It is not just the wicked who are under judgment and who suffer in this world. How many people have seen good people suffer? Honest, good Christian people suffer? Yeah, we see it all the time, right? Why? Because this world is full of sin. Because God has purpose in it. I'll share with you. Grandpa Norman passed away last Saturday. And a lot of people were praying specifically that that, that grandpa's death would bring about newness of life in somebody else. I have a young, I don't know if you want to call her, she's not a niece, but she's third, fourth cousin, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to keep track of all that stuff. But it's our cousin's daughter. And through the whole process of everybody mourning and everybody discussing and seeing the reality of death and asking all these questions about Why did he die? Where did he go? What is all this about? I need to understand. She came to understand that Christ is her Savior, and she became a Christian. She had new birth because of the death of her great-grandpa. 
Is that not the glory and the beauty of the gospel? That even through something as sad as being parted for a time from a loved one can bring about the newness of life and yet another life so that somebody else may one day stand before the Lord and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Grandpa Norman was the start of Christianity and the living the faith every day in that family, in the Draper clan. It was through Grandpa and Grandma that that faith started and continued on. And it's continuing on. His faithfulness spoke volumes to a young girl. Why? Because the God who brought salvation to Norman is the same God that brought salvation to Maggie. He does not change. And it's through the power of him living in us, living faithful lives, living contented lives, that he can speak volumes to other people around us, even after we're gone. He doesn't need us, but he uses us to his purposes and for his glory. We can rejoice knowing that Grandpa Norman had the greatest Father's Day that any of us could imagine, to see his father face to face. But back to verse 10. Let the rich man glory in his humiliation. That understanding of humility and exaltation. That dichotomy that lives. There is much humility in learning how to handle riches rightly and wisely. But not only that, to understand that it is not my riches that bring glory. It is my humility before Christ and being in Christ That is my glory. James doesn't say, let the rich man glory in his riches. As he doesn't say, let the poor man glory in his poverty. No, he says to both, glory in your position. The position that Christ has placed you in. Knowing that a man of means has a way to use that wealth for the glory of God. Knowing that he's not pursuing riches and the wisdom of this world for his own gain. It's the same thing in the parable of the sower. I'm going to turn there and read it for you. Matthew 13. Oop, went too far. Matthew 13 and verse 22. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. There are very few men that know how to handle riches well. Not saying it's not possible, because there, there are men in this world that uses wealth for the glory of God. Riches are a stumbling block. Riches are something to be aware of. Why? Because it can pull your affections away from Christ. Just as the poor man can lust and covet that of the rich man, or steal because he wants more. So riches are also a stumbling block to the rich. Everything in its proportion for the glory of God with the right set of eyes and understanding on your circumstances. If God has placed you in a position of wealth, there is a reason for it. Just as if he has placed you in a position of poverty, there is a reason for it. There are people as a poor man that you have a harder time ministering to. We see this later on in the book of James where the rich comes in and they give greater um, uh, attention to the rich. But there's also a place where the poor man 
can minister to those in poverty and they have an understanding. They have a common bond. Do you find it easier to minister to people who have been in like situations as yourself or those who are completely opposite? God is not leaving the rich and the poor on their own ends of the spectrum without anybody to have compassion or understanding with them on knowing how to minister to their needs. God places men in all positions of life to minister to all people in all positions of life. He has left nobody out. I have a quote here from Dr. Sayer, and it says on this verse, those who give their allegiance to Satan by going after riches must face a verdict of eternal condemnation. For the beauty of the flower which symbolizes the rich man is said to perish. What do we chase after in our lives? What do we place value on? What are our riches? And I'm not just talking monetary. There's much richness in God's blessings. Do we look at those? Or do we weigh value based on wealth or not wealth? Material gain or not material gain? Or do you place it on the souls of men who are won and lost on a daily basis? Do we place it on those who have never heard Christ and perish in that ignorance? Because people are not being faithful to preach the word of God. Do we take the opportunity to minister to others through the through the prophetic uh, the my mind's drawn a blank through the through our lives that it's actually speaking volumes to other people that we live a life that is pure before the Lord that we live a life that we are seeking God's glory whether in meager means or in great means that whether or not we live in riches or we live in rags we're still proclaiming the same Christ we're still proclaiming a word of truth we are not being hypocritical we are not chasing after those who are rich only. We're not chasing after those who are poor only. But we are seeking to go without partiality to all men in all circumstances of life. Do you guys understand that Job was not a poor man? Job was one of the wealthiest men alive. But what did Eliphaz say right in the beginning of his speech? Job used his wealth and his position to uphold the feeble to give strength to the knees of the weak. Job was used by God in great many ways. Are we faithful in our circumstances? Do we look at everything as we pray over the offering each week? Do we look at everything as we are just but stewards of what God has given us, whether much or little? Do we, as the widow, give all that we have? Do we, as a rich man, give all that we have to follow Christ? What was the one thing Jesus said to the rich man? One thing you lack. Give all that you have. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And what did it say? He was saddened. Why? Because the riches of the world have great value. What do we place in our lives that has great value above the value of God? We make an idol out of it. Idols are easy to make. What do we do with it? I'm going to read for you a passage out of, out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet, he had much to say, but here James agrees with Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. 
Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Once again, Old Testament, New Testament are cohesive. Why? Because it's the same God who wrote both. Because it's still relevant. The Word of God in the Old Testament is relevant today. The Word of God in the New Testament is relevant today. James is echoing the wisdom that God gave Jeremiah. Let those who boast, no matter your position, boast in Christ. Boast in knowing the Lord. Do we boast of that? Do people know where our joy comes from? Do people know what we boast in? Do we boast in our position? Do we boast in who our family is? Or do we boast in who God is and that we understand and know the gospel? Do we boast in the truth of God's word? This is what the heart of James here is. He's speaking to these men. As he's speaking to those who are coming up, who are learning and understanding Christianity to stand firm. How do you stand firm? By standing upon the truth of who God is. By knowing Him. And He is your glory. It is not the transient things of this life that are here today and gone tomorrow. Did we not see that in the book of Jonah? When the plant grew up and then a worm, God appointed a worm and it attacked the plant and the plant withered and died. It was scorched by the east wind. And Jonah's heart mourned for a plant instead of a people. Do we do the same thing? Do we look at our things and mourn for the things that we lose? Or do we look at those around us who are lost and mourn for them? Verse 11. I call this contented understanding. Verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and it withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Again, the transiency of life, it's short. We're like a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. What is the emphasis of our life? What is behind our pursuits? It says here, if it is riches, your pursuits will fade away, and in the midst of it, you will be no more. But here is where he gets into Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to read that quickly for you. Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. And the Lord says through Isaiah, A voice says, Call out. And Isaiah answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all of its loveliness is like the flowers of the field. For the grass withers and the flower fades, and when the breath, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, Surely the people are grass. For the grass grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The emphasis of life, the emphasis of why we are here, is the purposes of God's heart. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? Do you guys take good care of yourselves? Eh, more or less, right? We're not going to purposely put ourselves in harm, hopefully. 
Most people don't. Some people do, I suppose. But we take care of ourselves. We nurture ourselves. We are to do that for others. If we're loving God and loving our neighbor, where's the room for sin? It's not there, right? If you love God and love your neighbor, there's no room for sin. There's no room for selfishness. There's no room of love of self or love of wealth or boasting in our poverty, but boasting in Christ, making Christ known, showing the world that there is a God who loves them despite their social status, despite their skin tone, despite where they grew up, despite where they live now, despite what our profession is, despite whether we're single or married, male or female, slave or free. We are to boast in Christ to make known that man is like the grass and the flower of a field here today and gone tomorrow. What we value in beauty withers as quickly. God does not wither. God does not fade. His glory does not fade. Is that the glory that we boast in? The unfading glory of God Himself? We will know in all of eternity the beauty and glory of God in a new way. Are we hungry for that? Are we hungry for others to know that? Or do we allow the things of this life to guard our hearts that, oh, I'd love to go to heaven, but there's some things I want to do first. Do we fall into that trap? I know as a young man I did. There's a lot of things I thought I needed to do. There's a lot of things I thought I wanted to experience. I wanted to walk through life and I wanted to do this or that. And later in the book of James, James gets into that heart. Don't you who boast sin by saying, I'm going to go here uh, tomorrow, I'm going to go there and here and trade and sell and make a living. How do you know you'll be here tomorrow? How do we know we'll be here this afternoon? Do we place our faith in Christ and say, if the Lord wills, I will go and do this or that? If the Lord wills, I will do such and such. Where do we place our emphasis? Do we find contentment in meagerness? Do we find contentment in abundance? Do we find contentment in understanding who God is? Because that ultimately is where it needs to be. Point number four, blessed faithfulness. Verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's interesting the verbiage that James uses here. The crown of life was never mentioned prior to the book of James. It's interesting also that the name Stephen, or Stephen as we translate it in our Bible, means crown. I found that an interesting fact when I was studying through. We all receive the crown of life to those who persevere. But the word blessed as a man is actually singular. It's not man in the sense of humanity, as it's used oftentimes in Scripture. It's actually blessed as a man. One, singular. What did Jesus say to Paul when he met him upon the road to Damascus? Or he was Saul then. Why do you persecute me? We oftentimes don't think about it, that Christ still suffers along with his church. He said, why do you persecute my church? No, he says, why do you persecute me? 
Christ still intercedes on behalf of his people, on behalf of his children. Yes, Christ suffered and died once for all, and that was fulfilled. But the suffering of his church, it's as if Karen had a sickness. Mark would suffer along with his wife, even though Mark is not physically suffering. It's the same thing. Christ is the head of the church. It is his bride that suffers persecution in this world. It is his bride that suffers and struggles with the flesh. Christ understands it. It was in the temptation in the wilderness that we see Christ was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. He calls us to persevere under trial. What did he say back up in verse 2? Consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because it produces perseverance. And perseverance produces hope. And it runs its perfect course so that you lack nothing. It's interesting. Persecution, trials, temptations produce character so you lack nothing. And how often is it those same trials that we kick against, that we complain against, that we don't look at, I am blessed because I suffer for the word of the Lord. I am blessed because I am called a Christian and I suffer for it. Jesus said, his you know, servant is above his master, no student above his teacher. If they hated me, they will hate you. If I suffered, will you not? Do we look at our circumstances as things that are bringing about completeness, wholeness in our lives, refining our character more and more to the image of Christ? Who would not want to be made in the image of Christ, the beloved Son of God? What did he say of Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What did he say? Listen to him. What are we listening to? What are we pursuing? And this is the heart that James is going at. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do we love the Lord? If we do, he says, keep my commandments. Those who love me will obey my voice. Those who love me will forsake the world for the glory of the riches that are in Christ. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about the beauty and the, the lasting eternal value of the riches that are found in Christ. Moth cannot eat. Thief cannot steal. Fire will refine it and not destroy it. These are the things that we are to pursue. To understand that Christ is sufficient. We find our sufficiency. We find our glory in Christ and Christ alone. Just as in Jeremiah, he says, Boast in this, that you know my word and that you know me. Do we boast in Christ? Do we boast in our understanding and knowledge of who God is and that he's called us as his children? Or do we boast in the things of this world and the transitory things of life that have little value and little meaning? What in this world can you bring along with you to heaven? People, right? That's it. Can't bring anything else with you. Just people. 
People matter. People are eternal. Stuff. Who cares who gets your stuff when you're gone? Think it'll matter to you when you leave? I doubt it. I doubt when you get in the presence of your Savior that you'd be like, oh, I wish I could have brought my Corvette. Or, oh, I wish I could have brought this or that. Nah. It's going to mean nothing. Nothing in comparison to the glory of God and the riches found in Christ Jesus. That is what we are to pursue. And as we continue to grow and mature in our faith, that is to be our pursuit. To pursue Christ. To pursue others knowing Christ with all that we are. To count the things of this world as nothing in comparison to the gaining that we find in Christ Jesus. We bring others along with us. Let us be faithful in bringing others along from the left to the right. Let us be faithful in nurturing and growing our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God found it important. God found it important that through Moses before they entered the promised land, not once just in Deuteronomy 6, but in Deuteronomy 6 and 11, to remind them to teach their children at all times, when they sit down, when they rise up, when they walk by the way, when they lay down, at all times, because people are what count. People are what we can bring along.